Let's look to Matthew chapter 10 this morning once again. Matthew chapter 10. And we started off last week looking at the first two essentials for uh, being committed to the mission of God, of the kingdom. And we're gonna finish that off this morning. Of course, we're gonna see several things in, uh, toward the end of the chapter that can be called essentials in the mission. So there's nothing really exclusive about these four. They're just uh, kind of umbrellas that we're, that we're looking at. And so um, I heard, uh, so, you know, sometimes I get videos sent to me from different preachers and different ones in the community and because they know that I'm just so outspoken against uh, the Word of Faith movement and, and the name it and claim it gospel. And I, I imagine sometimes you guys get tired of uh, hearing me talk about it, but uh, that's just a real concern on my heart. Um, and someone sent me a video this week of, uh, of a preacher I use that term lightly, but uh, in, in uh, Colorado Springs, he's actually just north of Colorado Springs in Woodland Park, Colorado. And he was giving a speech about how he really didn't care if you give or not, because he has plenty of money. He figured out his needs equal to about 24 hours a day, 365 days a week. He needs at a minimum 11,000 thousand dollars per hour every hour of the week to meet his needs. And apparently that was not enough because uh, he told, he joyously and giddily told the story of a widow or, or a woman who had come from a mental health institution. She literally, all she had was like $78 and he told her to give it all to him. And then he justified that by saying that so many people in the church kind of jumped in and helped and and helped her kind of get back on our feet. I'm thinking, no, I'm thinking all those people knew you just fleeced her. But, uh, but that's beyond the point. I won't mention names, but his initials are Andrew Womack. And so, the, um, you know, unfortunately, so much of that is on the television today that it can make it a little awkward for the church to talk about, to honestly talk about money. It really can make it a little awkward because there's such an emphasis on it on their end for nefarious means that when we talk about the true purpose of money and we talk about the true purpose of giving and all of those things, it can, it can, we often kind of feel like we have to trip over our words. But Jesus is gonna talk about the place of money in the mission today. That's just one thing of several he's gonna talk about. And we've got to look at this and we've got to ask, okay, what, what place does that have in, in the mission? And we're going to see that in the first thing, the first essential that he mentions this morning. So again, just like last week, beloved, my purpose is that we would be as a church committed to the mission that God has called us to. As disciples, we would be committed to the mission that he gave, just as I, just as I prayed in my pastoral prayer this morning for us, that he would give us a holy zeal for the mission and, and for the lost in our community. And so there are some other essentials we're gonna see. But let's go ahead and I'm gonna just go ahead and have you remain seated. It's a, it's a longer text. I'm gonna read the whole text again because I do wanna give due 
attention to the context of God's word. I know we're hungry. I know there's potatoes back there. So uh, I am keeping that in mind. So, uh, but, but verses five through 15 of chapter 10, he says, and the 12 Jesus sent out instructing them, go, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and proclaim as you go saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. Now, that's where we stopped last week. So let's, let's continue on. In the middle of verse eight, you receive without paying, give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts. No bag for your journey or two tunics or sandals or a staff for the laborer deserves his food. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. And as you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that town or house. Truly, I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. As we saw last week that uh, when we talk about the mission, he is, he is sending out his 12. He called the church. He, he told the apostles to pray in chapter nine, verses 36 and, and 37, to pray for laborers. The harvest is truly plentiful, but the laborers are few. Pray that the Lord of the harvest will send out laborers. And Jesus answers that prayer in the church. We see the church in miniature being, being organized. We see the calling of the apostles in chapter 10, verses one through four, and now he is giving them kind of the bare essentials of the mission. He is sending them out on kind of a trial run, and that's something you need to keep in mind is that these verses are highly contextual. And yet, so there's, there's a couple things in here that we don't necessarily follow to the word, but there are principles that we pull out of these things that later revelation in the scriptures are going to inform how we obey the principles behind these commands. And so that's the, that's the direction that we're taking with this. And last week we saw that the number one essential that we must do is that we must proclaim the kingdom. Obviously, we do that through the bringing in of converts. We make disciples as well. And so proclaiming the kingdom is more than just uh, shooting for conversion, but we are looking to make disciples, to teach them kingdom living. And that the other essentials we see are, are, are adorning that proclamation, that we practice mercy. And we saw that last week. And I, I, if you wanna know more about that, just for sake of time, I won't take time to review it. Just go back and listen to the sermon online. But this morning, we're gonna see the two last ones, four essentials of being on mission for the kingdom. We saw proclaiming the kingdom. We also saw practicing mercy. And now we're gonna see in verses, the second part of verse eight and following, we need to prioritize the kingdom. We need to prioritize the kingdom. And then we're also gonna see at the end that we need to persevere in ministry. And so let's look at prioritizing this morning. We need to prioritize. He says, he begins in the second part of verse eight, you received without praying, freely you have received. And so freely give, freely 
give. So, so he's moving these commands. He's been telling them what to do, but now he is kind of making a transition to where this is not what we are to do, but these are really kind of motivations that we are to follow. So he's moving from instructions really to motivation type instructions. And the first thing he tells them, he reminds them of this very important principle that you disciples, these 12, you have received the kingdom freely. Therefore, when you offer the kingdom, you are to offer it without price. You are to offer it freely. Freely you have received freely give. We have to remember this. Beloved, we receive the kingdom as a free gift. This is one of the most fundamental motivations of legitimate gospel ministry, that God has done so much for us, and he has done it for free. It is absolutely, completely, 100% of grace. Grace alone through faith alone. There is no merit that we must earn. There is nothing that we have done, but Christ has done it freely. And through that motivation, then we go out and we offer the kingdom to the world freely. This is not a a get rich quick scheme. This is not some religious version of Amway. This is not anything like that. This is the kingdom offered freely. In fact, I love how Isaiah 55, uh, I love how it expresses this so, so well, so beautifully. It says that the offer of the kingdom after the suffering servant and after he assumes the throne of the world, he then offers the kingdom. He says, come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. You who have no money, come buy and eat, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. The kingdom offer is free to all who will come. It is free. Paul says in Romans 6, 23, hopefully a verse that you've had memorized since childhood for the wages of sin. Listen, if you wanna pay wages, the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. It's a free gift. Beloved, there is nothing that we can offer the kingdom for. No price that can be set upon it, but it is free. We have freely received it. How dare we charge others for it? And so that that falls into this list of kind of don'ts that he gives in verses nine and 10. He says, do not acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts. And probably in the spirit of this, don't brag about needing $11,000 an hour for your whole life. No bag or for your journey or two tunics or sandals or a staff. You know, you read this and you think, okay, uh, Jesus doesn't, I can just imagine the 12 disciples saying to acquire no gold, no silver, no copper. Okay, well, we better make sure we pack plenty of provisions. Uh-uh, verse 10, <laughs> Don't take anything extra. Take no provisions whatsoever. You are to take nothing. You are to take, you are to have no provisions for the journey. And so again, what what are we talking about here? Beloved, you know, Jesus talks about money. 
in a surprisingly a lot of times. And, and one of the reasons why he does that is, is because, uh, because money has, I love, Dave Ramsey says that money only has the power to make you more of what you already are. I don't know about that, but here's what I do know. There's a diagnostic power to money that money reveals, it has the power to reveal our idols in our lives. Why? Because now you can afford them. And so money has that incredible diagnostic power. And that's why Jesus talks about it so much, not so that his disciples will be rich or healthy, but so that they will see that they can, there's, this is an objective measure that they can look at in their lives and they can understand, I see an issue here that I have because I'm spending so much money on this one thing or this one pursuit. We were uh, in a counseling class and we were given a case study about um, a wife and a husband who were in conflict because he didn't spend any time with her, didn't want to spend any time with her. All he wanted to do was fish all day. And we were, we were given the challenge of asking diagnostic questions of, of, of how would we approach this couple. And one of the kids in class, he, he, uh, he said, uh, well, the first question I would ask is, what lure do you use? <laughs> and, uh, and of course, we all got a kick out of this. He said, no, actually, I'm dead serious because if, you know, if he says a worm, then that might indicate that his wife maybe is, is, is kind of operating out of jealousy. But if, but if he names this $125 lure, then, there might, then the wife might have something to this. So, I mean, it was actually pretty smart, but we got a kick out of it. So money has that diagnostic ability. But when Christ is saying this, I want you to understand. So let's, let's bring this out into further revelation and say, what are the principles here? I don't think Christ is talking about the honest making of a living. I don't think that's what he's saying. In fact, I know that's not what he's saying because Paul later on will address this. And in 1 Corinthians chapter nine, for sake of time, I won't go there, but you might wanna write it down. 1 Corinthians chapter nine, verses eight through 14, he talks about those who proclaim the gospel should make their living from the gospel. So, so again, the issue is not an honest making of living. And it's not even a, a uh, not talking about the wise saving for the future. Even Jesus later on is gonna talk about counting costs and, and uh, the Proverbs extol the wisdom of saving up for rainy days and, and saving for the future. And, and we would say retirement today and, and life insurance and things like that. We, he's not saying that we shouldn't be doing all of those things, but he is saying, and there are multiple warnings in scripture of those who use the ministry, those who use the church and even the gospel itself as a means for personal gain. And that's what he is warning against. Paul, once again, says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 5, uh, through this whole list of those who are divisive and, and those who need to be disciplined in the church and how we are to watch out for them, he, uh, one of the things he says at the very end, kind of a summing up of their attributes, he says that they imagine that godliness is a means of gain. And so we see that. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 17, Paul has to defend himself. He says, and I love how the, 
the Christian Standard Bible words this. He says, for we do not market the word of God for profit like so many. There was a, there was a big problem with that in the first century. And the, and the disciples and the apostles had to defend themselves against that, that mentality, against that accusation. And that's what Paul is doing here. Listen, if you're here this morning and, and you are an unbeliever, if you are skeptical, I just wanna to talk to you for a minute, beloved. We, we are aware, we are aware of these hucksters on TV and what a bad name that they give to the church doing all that they do in the name of money. We understand that, but beloved, let me also tell you that there are true churches in Batesville, there are true churches all over the world who are ministering the gospel at great personal cost. And I assure you that what you see is not the real thing. And please don't let that distract you or pull you away from the true gospel of Jesus Christ. My unbelieving friend, do not let them, do not let them rob you of the gospel. They are not preaching the gospel. So don't, please don't let them distract you from the offer of the kingdom. So what do we learn from this? In verse 10, he sums it up by saying, for the laborer deserves his food. It says it's worthy of his support, some of your translations say. And that term worthy, it's, it's, it means that it's, it's fitting, it's appropriate, that a laborer who works will get paid for his working, right? I mean, think about this. Let me just, let me just appeal to you for a moment, your, your, your daily life, just the normal routine. Maybe you don't even think about it that much, but what do you do? You go to work every day, at least five days a week, some of us even more. And you work eight hours a day, again, some of us even more. And you do that for one to two weeks, maybe some of us even up to a month. And we do that, and at the end of that month or at the end of that pay period, you trust that your employer is going to give you your wages, right? And out of your wages, you are gonna be able to support your lifestyle. You, you, just by your actions, you trust in that. Well, well, church, let me ask you a question. If you trust your employer to do the right thing, then how much more should we trust God to meet our needs of a church if we are about laboring in his kingdom? How much more should we trust our God who always does the right thing to provide our church with everything we need to do the work of the ministry. We should, should we not? And so our priority is the mission. Our priority is not to raise funds so that we can then do the mission, but our priority is the mission. And when we are obedient to Christ, he will meet our needs. Doesn't mean he'll meet every want but he will meet our needs. So our priority is the mission. You know, I could talk about the Word of Faith movement more. I mean, that, they're, that, that's low-hanging fruit. And I, I dare say that most of you have been coming to our church long enough that I, I, I sincerely pray that you're not really tempted by them anymore, if you ever were. But you know, there are other ways of gain that are more subtle 
that we can come to the church for, is there not? Did you come to church this morning to worship Christ alone for no other reason other than he is worthy? Or did you come to gain social capital? Did you come because respectable people in the community go to church? Why did you come this morning? Did you come to Christ in order that in order that you may make much of Christ? Or did you come to Christ hoping that he will make much of you? Why have you come to Christ? I was talking with a gentleman who has recently switched churches and I was asking him, why did he choose to to do that. And he says, oh, so many people. God is doing such an amazing thing. Brother, this new church that I'm attending now, new to him, we brought in $400,000 in tithes and offerings last month alone. That, that's more than my last church entire yearly budget. And that was it. That was his measure of success. That was it. Beloved, the question of the kingdom, the priority of the kingdom is, is the people of Calvary Baptist Church becoming more like Jesus Christ? That's the priority. That's the mission. That's what we are. And you know what's so frustrating about that is that we can't cause it. We cannot put certain things in place. I can't, I can't give you a, a system of punishments and rewards to make you more like Christ. That is legalism, and it never ends well, right? I can't do that. I, I cannot be. Now, now, there are things we can do as a church to cultivate Christ-likeness, but we cannot cause it. That is a work of God in your heart. And you know what? Sometimes that's frustrating. It's frustrating. I'll be honest with you. It is tempting to use methods that can shortcut that process, supposedly. It's tempting. You know what? Listen, Christ-likeness is our goal. And I'm gonna tell you something. That is a slow process. That is a slow process. How long does it take you to become like Christ? When will you be perfectly like Christ? When you die. I don't want to shortcut that process, <laughs> okay? I, I, I mean, I'm excited you're going to heaven, but I'm not exactly in a hurry for it. Don't get me wrong. And so, beloved, look, Christ's likeness is a lifelong process. It is a slow process. And because of that, there's such a temptation to want to try to speed it up, to try to take shortcuts. We can't do that because whatever we do, might just rob our church of holiness. Christ gives gifts to the church so that people will mature. That's the priority of the mission, that our people will be like Christ. And that takes time, and we can't cause it, no matter what we do. We can cultivate it, but we can't cause it. And so that's the priority. Just very quickly, number two for this morning, really number four, we saw that we must proclaim the kingdom, practice mercy, prioritize the kingdom. 
Then finally, we're gonna see that we must persevere in ministry. We must persevere. It says in verses 11 through 15, I won't read the whole verses again just to save time, but he says here in verse 11, and whatever town you enter, find who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. Again, don't misunderstand that word worthy. It's actually the same word we just read in verse 10. And the idea here is fitting or appropriate. And so it's really, it's really referring to the receptivity of the house. If you go to a house and they receive your message and offer to allow you to stay in their home, uh, then you are to do so and you are to stay there, stay put until you depart. Don't constantly be looking for greener pastors or bigger and better or whatever. Be content where you are. When you find that there is receptivity of your, of your message, then, then stay where you are and, and fellowship and, and minister among those who have received the gospel. Beloved, anytime we, we preach the kingdom, proclaim the kingdom, there's going to be two responses. There's going to be those who are receptive and we stay put, we be content, we fellowship. He talks about that in verses 12 through 13a, that you stay there, you bring your peace onto their house, you greet it, you fellowship with them, and you stay and minister with them. But there will also be those who are unreceptive. And he continues on halfway through verse 13, he says, but if it is not worthy, if they're not receptive, then let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake the dust off your feet when you leave that house or town. In other words, you are to remove your fellowship. You are to leave that place and leave them to their own judgment. In fact, there's a physical sign that the disciples are to do, and that is they're to take their sandals off their feet and shake the dust off their house as they leave as a sign of judgment. That was a symbolic action that the Jews would do anytime they left any kind of Gentile land, especially the Samaritans, whenever they would come out, they would take their shoes off and dust the, shake the dust off their sandals. That was a way of saying that these people are unclean and they are outside of the covenant of God. They are not God's people. And Jesus says that for those who are unreceptive, there's a warning here. I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than it will be for that town. In case you don't know, Sodom and Gomorrah harkens back to the book of Genesis and the life of Abraham. And they were renowned for their sinful ways. In fact, we see an example of it. In uh, Genesis chapter 19, I believe it is. 19 or 20, around there. And God punishes them for their sin. He literally rains fire down from heaven and destroys the entire plain and covers it up with the Dead Sea. But Jesus says, for those who, do not, who hear the gospel and do not receive it, it will be more tolerable for those people than it is for you on that day of judgment. For those who hear the gospel and do not respond, you have every opportunity to hear the gospel, sometimes week after week after week, and you choose to ignore it. The punishment will be unbearable. The wrath of God, oh, unbelieving friend, if you are here today, heed that warning. 
because that punishment will be eternal. You will die in your sin. You will suffer always dying, never dead. Eternal judgment facing the wrath of God. When there was one who hung on the cross and faced that wrath for you so that you would not have to, how much more unbearable will it be for all eternity facing this wrath, knowing that there was someone who offered to take your place and you said no? How much unbearable will it be for you knowing you had every opportunity in the world to hear and respond to the gospel. And you said, I'm going to go my own way. It's terrible. A very famous biblical pastor. I don't talk about those too often, do I? A very famous pastor who's actually very, very biblical. He, um, he took a church in uh, a southern state not too far from here in the scheme of things. It's pretty far, but not too far from here. And that church was just completely unreceptive. They, they just, they gave him such a hard time, just, uh, just rejected everything. Uh, and by the way, just because a church doesn't agree with a pastor, that doesn't mean that you're out of the will of God. That just means there's collective wisdom in the body. That's all that means. But in this case, everything the pastor said, they would, they would, they would, they would just attack him. And, and he was preaching through the book of Romans. And one Sunday, one of the church leaders came in and sat down with him. And he said, if you know what's good for you, you will not preach these next verses or you will be sorry. So not only did he do that, he did a three-part series on those next passage of verses. But uh, it was so bad. He was there for three years, and, and finally they, they rose up against him, and they, they threw him out of the pulpit. In fact, they didn't even give him a chance. Uh, that Wednesday night, he had to call his son, and his son came to the church, and, and they had to unpack his office that night and leave. And as, they, and as the son was driving him out of the parking lot, he told his son, "Stay here, for, uh, park here for a second, stop here. And he got out of the car and the church had kind of assembled and was watching him drive off. He got out of the car, he took his shoes off and rose them up and he shook them together as a sign against them. You know, going through that kind of hardship, it would have been easy for him to give up. It would have been easy for him to just stop and and go do something else, sell insurance or something, you know. But he didn't. That was, that was years ago, decades ago even. He's still in the ministry today, still writing books, still faithfully serving the Lord. He persevered. And beloved, listen, when we go and, and preach the message, there's going to be times of receptivity where we see amazing fruits and, and we're so thankful for those times, amen? But there's also going to be times where there are, when it feels like we're just spinning our wheels, that there's going, to be, there's going to be seasons of unreceptivity. And what do we do when those seasons come? Do we, do we try to reevaluate? And, and those are the times that it's going to be attempting uh, to, to try to jump into shortcuts and, and stuff like that. What do we do? We persevere. We persevere. 
That doesn't mean that we can't find more excellent ways to be faithful or better ways, more excellent ways to do things, but we persevere in biblical ministry. We don't shortcut the gospel or make it more user-friendly or whatever it is that we try to do to garner baptisms and numbers and money. We don't do those things. We persevere in the ministry of the word. Listen, Isaiah understands where, you, where, where we are at this time. I'm not saying we're here, don't get me wrong. But Isaiah understands these times of unreceptivity. He, in, in chapter 49, he was, God was giving him something to say to the people. And Isaiah says in, verse, in chapter 49, verse four, he says, but I said, I have toiled in vain. I'm just spinning my wheels. What's the point, God? You ever feel like that? He says, I have spent my might for nothing and vanity. But then what does he remind himself? Yet surely the justice due to me is with Yahweh and my reward with my God. That's what we remember in the times that the ministry seems to be drying up. That's what we remember in the times that the, that, that the rivers seem to be getting low and turning into ditches. That's, that's, the t that's what we have to remember, that we persevere. Why? Because our reward is with God, and he rewards those who are faithful. Not effective, faithful. Not, not successful in the business world, faithful. And that's how we persevere. Don't lose heart. Don't lose sight of the mission. Galatians chapter six, verse nine, Paul says, do not lose heart in doing good for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. Oh, Calvary Baptist Church, do not grow weary. Do not grow weary. There's an ebb and flow to ministry, beloved. And that's okay. That's okay. There'll be times of great receptivity and there will be times of it seeming unreceptiveness. What do we do? No matter what it is, no matter what time we're in, we persevere. We persevere. In the good times, don't be tempted to think it's us. In the bad times, don't be tempted to take shortcuts. We persevere. We rejoice. Not that the demons are subject to us. Not that we have healed the sick or all these other things. You remember Luke? We rejoice not in the success of ministry. What do we rejoice in? That our name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Keep our eyes focused on the gospel. We'll persevere in ministry. So we've seen the last two weeks, four essentials. Proclaim the ministry, proclaim the kingdom, excuse me. Proclaim the kingdom, practice mercy. Prioritize the kingdom. And what was that last one? Persevere in ministry. I'm getting hungry for potatoes, aren't you? <laughs> So, so my unbelieving friend, let me just talk to you for a moment. Heed that warning of verse 15. Heed that warning. If you don't know Christ as your savior, heed that warning. It will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Sodom and Gomorrah 
than it is for those who hear the gospel and do not respond. So what do you need to respond to? First of all, you need to recognize who God is. God is the loving ruler of this universe. He created everything and he created humanity to rule with him, to cultivate, or you could say manage his creation and perfect fellowship with him. But humanity rebelled. We decided we don't want God to be king. We, we took the crown off of his head and we tried to put it on our head. And that's what the Bible calls sin. We have rebelled against our king, against our ruler. And we've tried to rule society, rule the world and rule our lives ourselves. And the problem with that is, is that we make a mess of things. We ruin society, we ruin our lives, we ruin our families. And what's more is that God's not gonna let us stay in our rebellion forever. But there is coming a day, a day of judgment, where he will punish those who have committed high treason against him. The punishment for sin is hell, death, and judgment. And that sounds harsh, and it is harsh. Make no mistake, it is harsh. But because God loved us so much, he made another way. And he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, who is fully God and yet fully man. And he lived perfectly under God's rule for 33 years, never sinning, never disobeying him, always following his rules, his commands, his laws. And then he went to the cross and died so that we can be forgiven of our rebellion. And that's not all. On the third day, he rose from the grave and he has now ascended to the right hand of the Father and God has made him the new king of the world. And he offers forgiveness of sins so no more judgment and he offers new life in him through his resurrection so no more death. So how do you respond to this? Quite simply, you submit to Christ as your new king. You take the little puny crown off of your head and you bow down to the one who has the crown on his head. We call that repentance. We turn from sin and self-rule and we place our faith in Christ alone for forgiveness of sin and new life. And if you're here this morning and you need to respond to Christ, that's how you do it. You place, you repent and turn from your sins and you place your faith in Christ alone for salvation. And what do you do to express that faith? Well, the Bible says you get baptized. And how can we do that? If you're placing your faith in Jesus Christ this morning, I wanna to talk to you. I wanna come down. Maybe you have questions. I wanna to talk to you some more. And we will, we will help you know how you can know Jesus Christ as your savior. Will you come this morning before it's too late? Will you eat of the bread of life and not just potatoes that'll be gone by Super Bowl? Will you take Christ in by faith alone? 
Father, if there's one here this morning who does not know you as Savior, I pray they will heed the warning. I pray that their hearts are being turned even now, that they are coming to you to place their faith in you and you alone. And Lord, if they still have questions, I pray that they would not be shy, that maybe they wanna come to me or maybe they wanna come to someone in this church, one of our men, one of our women. They just wanna ask questions, Lord. I pray that you would move them to respond. And Father, I pray you'd make this conviction so strong that they can't even enjoy their afternoon meal until they get this right. Lord, whatever the need is. Maybe there are those here this morning who have prioritized the wrong things, not your kingdom. Maybe they're here for other reasons other than the fact that you and you alone are worthy of worship. Maybe they're here this morning and they have put their hearts, set their hearts on other things. Lord, reveal us this morning. Lay us bare before you. Break us so that then only you can put us back together. Lord, wrestle with our hearts and win so that we may glorify you. I want to ask you to stand and if you're here this morning and you have a need, I pray that you would come. Maybe you don't want to come to, down the front to me. Maybe you want to talk to one of our men, one of our ladies who can show you the way to Christ. Maybe you're here this morning and you want to pray with someone. Maybe it doesn't have to be me. It can be any one of our uh, members. We're all ministers in this church and maybe it can be one of them. Lord, whatever Whatever your need is, we invite you to take whatever steps the Lord may be leading you to do as we sing together.